This episode is brought to you by Adele Golf, and we're going to talk single length irons. If you've ever wondered how a single length four iron goes just as far as a standard length, well, I have as well. So we asked David Adele, and he explained. The main attributes to single length that provide the benefit and distance that is the misconception based on its being shorter is the fact that the mass of the head is generally about 30 grams to 35 grams heavier than a standard four iron. And the two inch difference in club head speed is minimal compared to the amount of force that's being applied to the golf ball in a more perpendicular manner than a lofted golf club that compresses the ball. And with this face flex technology and more mass, that golf ball is going to spin and get height and get distance. Adele Golf makes amazing single-length irons, and you should check them out. They have an amazing demo program, so you can test them out before purchasing. You can head over and get all the details at golfsciencelab.com slash Adele. We have a bunch of podcasts, videos, diving into single-length irons. And if you do get a set, tag us, Golf Science Lab, Adele Golf, and a picture on Twitter Instagram. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Today on the podcast, we are getting back to our Golf Myths series. We are looking at club technology, and we're sitting down with a great guy in the world of, of golf science. His name is Paul Wood. He works at Ping as the VP of Engineering and oversees a lot of different aspects of what's going on there, from the R&D to manufacturing. And from the sounds of it, he has an extremely busy schedule and has a big role in shaping the Ping products that we end up seeing on the golf course. So... We are sitting down with him today to talk about some misconceptions. We took some questions from Twitter. Lots of great stuff. We have talked with him before on the podcast in an episode that we did attempting to understand driver design and engineering. But today we are tackling three different topics, drivers, irons, and putters. Gravity Fit is also a sponsor for today's podcast. If you haven't seen it, it's a little hard to visually describe. So right off the bat, we have a handful of videos of a time I spent with the PT talking about Gravity Fit at golfsciencelab.com slash gravity fit. And here's why it's a fascinating tool. A lot of us struggle with posture, spinal stability, shoulder strength, largely due to the sedentary nature of our working lifestyle, slumped in a poor posture over our computers and phones. And that makes achieving consistent, neutral, athletic golf posture elusive, which often results in poor swing mechanics and not very good ball striking. Gravity Fit helps solve this problem by building awareness, stability, and strength in the key postural and stability muscles responsible for great posture and quality movement. And the really cool thing is that the tools can be used from rehab to the range. Doubling is a fantastic swing aid that can be used while practicing. It's currently in use by over 30 PGA Tour pros, trainers, and coaches, along with thousands of recreational golfers all around the world. Make sure to learn more at gravityfit.com. And on our site, listen to golfsciencelab.com slash gravityfit to check out the podcast and videos that dive deeper into the theory and application of this cool tool. So what's funny about this is probably two weeks before I sat down with Paul, I just recently upgraded my driver to a new Ping G400 and a TPT golf shaft. And it is just an incredible golf club. I am really enjoying it. So I had a few questions just as we first sat down and started chatting. 
the G400, comparing that, I have a buddy that had the previous generation. We were just out the other day playing, and it's like the difference is phenomenal from like how they sound, how they feel, like everything. Yeah, that was a big change from the, the G and the G400, the, the, the sound piece and the sound and feel are pretty much intertwined. You know, I never thought of that because I talked about the putter, uh, how much that is intertwined and, and how, what you think about a putter, but it's I never realized that, but it'd be driver too, huh? Yeah, I mean, there are some, you know, there are some differences, but, but when people talk about sound and feel, there's a lot of overlap, they end up, you know, and, and you... We've done some stuff with putting uh, noise-canceling headphones on players, and it really takes away a lot of your ability to like feel. You know, you still get vibrations going to the hands, but you take out the sound piece, and it really hampers a player's ability to describe the feel. Because you start making a really big driver with thin walls, it wants to sound like a cowbell, and we don't want it to sound like a cowbell. <laughs> so you have to do a lot of engineering to sort of, you know, dampen it down. You know, whereas with like where Woodwoods, they naturally sound more muted. A big hollow titanium club wants to sound really loud, so we have to work hard to, to temper that down. So, how do you know what sounds good? Because like my buddy, it was his driver, the Hitchy is the G, the previous generation, and he hit that, and then he hit the the new one, and he was like, "Oh man, this thing sounds inc- like so much better." How do you know what sounds better? <laughs> it's a very simplest level. You know, a tour player is looking for the driver to sound less loud. The 75-year-old gentleman who swings at 75 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, is looking for the opposite. They're looking for it to sound a bit more powerful because you're not you're not getting as much sound out of it when you swing that that speed. And actually, having a loud sound kind of has more the feeling of power. But to a tour player, that has the feeling of my ears are bleeding. So, so it, it is very much different for different players. But, uh, you know, so what we try to do with, say, a G400 LS Tech is a little different to what we might try to do with a G400 SF, where the kind of core audience is a little bit different. There's still a lot we can do with sound in terms of, in the future, and in innovation, looking to try to tune that sound better for different tastes. But, uh, yeah, we're pretty proud of where we are with G400. It was a lot of engineering to go into that. So it didn't happen by chance. So lessons we learned today, we don't want a driver to sound like a cowbell. I mean, how interesting is this topic, right? That the sound of the driver really has a big impact and it's a good portion of what we feel when we say like this driver feels solid. It feels, you know, whatever you might say that a lot of that comes from the sound. It's kind of cool. I do want to try that test where you hit some balls with noise canceling headphones. That seems really, really interesting. All right, now on to our next question in a concept we're going to tackle here, aerodynamics. This was a tweet from Jason. He was asking about if the aerodynamic features of a ping driver actually make a difference. Yeah, good question, Jason. That's something near and dear to my heart because it was one of, when I was in our innovation team, I was working on the research that led to turbulators. So our aerodynamic feature, and it's not the only thing we do in terms of aerodynamics, but the, the turbulators are a feature to improve aerodynamics. And I can categorically say that they do make a difference. You know, aerodynamics is not the number one thing that leads to distance on a driver, but it can be the difference between a very aerodynamic driver and a very not aerodynamic driver it can be three or four miles an hour of swing speed. And no one wants to lose three or four miles an hour of swing speed. 
every mile an hour of swing speed is something like about three yards, give or take. So you really don't want to be throwing away 10 yards through poor aerodynamics. So aerodynamics isn't everything, but it's, you know, one feature that the engineers can play around with. And because they're making bigger drivers, they're optimizing center of mass and all these other facets, drivers can potentially become less aerodynamic. So it's this balancing act. They bring in the turbulators or these other facets and they help balance it back so you can make a more forgiving, a longer driver, make it less aerodynamic, and then swing it back to the other way, other side with some of these features and balance that back out so it is more aerodynamic. Pretty cool. Our designers are optimizers. They have a whole bunch of variables and they have to choose trade-offs. So I can make the center of mass more optimized here, but I might give up something on aerodynamics there. I can make the face flex more here and get more distance, but I might give up something in terms of sound, say. And so the designer's job is to take the best of our knowledge and, and, and make all those trade-offs. So where we can move the needle for a designer is if we can break a trade-off. So turbulators break a trade-off because they can stick with a shape that's great for moment of inertia and great for center of mass. And now you don't have to make such a big trade-off on aerodynamics. The second part of this question here from Jason, which is which is really good, of the elements of driver design that have the biggest impact on performance and have we reached a point of diminishing returns in some areas such as aerodynamic design? And this is a question that a lot of people probably resonate with or, you know, are some changes just about marketing a, a new product to have something to launch. So fire away. There's a whole bunch of areas where we are pretty close up against the, uh, you know, the regulations. And, you know, when I started a ping in 2005, we already had the ability to make a driver that was at the CT limit on a center hit. We've been there on the CT limit for 12 years, but we still find ways to increase distance with, with our drivers through other means. You know, we, when one avenue gets kind of taken away, then other avenues tend to open up. We've still been able to make big leaps in moment of inertia to the point where we're getting close now to the USGA limit on moment of inertia. So we have to find other areas. Aerodynamics is one we've made some pretty big improvements, but there's still some area for improvement there. There's still some scope for improvement in in terms of the center of mass location, in terms of uh, increasing just the sort of forgiveness mechanically. What happens is, is every time you sort of think you're getting to diminishing returns, you find another avenue to go down. We've got a lot of very smart innovation people, people working on manufacturing methods, people working on materials. And so we don't hold anything back, but we sort of trust that each year we'll keep coming up with new ways to improve. So in some ways we are in a kind of diminishing returns. I don't think you're going to see the sort of leap from going to a, you know, a wood wood to a hollow metal wood. But, but in other areas, there's lots of, lots of scope for innovation still. I mean, what's the difference between, I remember like a, a G2 driver, right? Um, <laughs> like what is the difference between that driver and the G400 driver that you pick up today? Oh goodness. Off the top of my head, I mean, the G2 is, was a great driver, but I think we're, with tens of percent higher moment of inertia, so so tens of percent more forgiving on offset hits, and everyone mishits drivers, even tall players mishit drivers, and so that that the distance you get when you don't hit it quite perfectly is so much closer now than it used to be. Our center of mass is a lot lot further down and and, uh, and back, which means the driver's way easier to get up in the air, so you can swing a lower lofted driver and get the ball up in the air more easily and that leads to a lot of distance the aerodynamics are 
better now than they were then. Our shaft technology is better. We counterbalancing the shaft and having more weight in the head, but maintaining swing weight. We've come on a long, long way. And we actually did a pingman test maybe a year or two ago where we sort of compared all of our drivers going back to the actually before the G2. And, you know, it depends on the swing, but but it's easily getting into the kind of 20-yard range for, for um, you know, for some golfers, depending on the swing. And I think to, to, to address the marketing piece, it's I have a lot of sympathy for the, the regular golfer out there because it's very difficult to tell what's genuine science and what's marketing because it all kind of sounds the same when it comes out the other end. All I can do is say that from our end, our CEO is an engineer, John Solheim, and his son, John Kay, our president, is an engineer, and they sit down every week with, with my team, and we are not allowed to bring out a new product until it's demonstrably better in performance. And, you know, sometimes it's a fairly incremental leap, and sometimes it's a really big leap, but it, we cannot launch a product until we can prove that it's better. So that's, that's how we work. So another question coming in here from Twitter, uh, and if you're asking, how can I get my question answered? Well, follow along myself, Cordy Walker on Twitter and Golf Science Lab. Occasionally you'll see when we have guests coming on, I'll throw up a tweet and ask for questions to ask to them. So make sure to follow along on Twitter and um, yeah, you'll get your question answered next time. All right, this question, our next one was, what are the advantages of non-adjustable drivers? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the advantage of a non-adjustable driver is that you can you have more choice about where you place the weight and, and how you structure the driver. As soon as you start building what I call like the infrastructure for whether it's sliding weights or movable weights or even our adjustable hosel, you're having to use some mass and put some structure in there to do that. And so there's always the, it goes back to trade-offs. There's a trade-off of is the benefit I get from the adjustability more of a benefit than the cost of a little bit less choice about where I put that mass. And so to use our example, we were one of the last companies to, to get into an adjustable hosel on the driver. And that was because for us, we didn't want to do it until the trade-off made sense to us. For our driver and where we were and, and, and what we were doing, you're adding weight into the hosel region, which is not great for CG placement. You're putting a lot of mass very high <laughs> on that club. And so we worked really hard to... Um, to optimize the hosel for weight to make sure we weren't adding any more mass than we had to and weren't having to make a trade-off. And the same applies to a sort of adjustable kind of left-right bias CG that there is definitely benefit for the golfer. And it's a question of where are we on that trade-off of the, can we build it in such a way that we're not having to trade off too much moment of inertia and too much uh, Central mass. So you're trading off forgiveness of the driver, basically, for the ability to kind of tune the flight. And in an ideal world, we get the best of both worlds and we have no trade-off. So when we feel like we can do that, that's when we'll incorporate it. Really cool to get some insights and some clarification into driver design. I am fascinated by this balancing act that's happening as they develop these drivers. When they you know, are attempting to max out one facet, they potentially have to compromise in another area. So they have to find the trade-offs that are worth it and that work best. It's, it's really cool. And you can imagine what a complicated 
effort that has to be behalf of these engineers. So our last driver concept that we're going to tackle here is spin, because we always hear about those low spin bombs that you want to hit, right? So would more spin ever be beneficial? Like with a lot of these things, it kind of comes back to the trade-offs at play. But in general, if you're doing, if I'm assigning, you know, an assignment to a, a math student at university, and I say, right, go out there and mathematically work out the optimum way to hit a golf ball a long way. You'll find that the optimum launch conditions for a golf ball, assuming, you know, kind of air resistance and all these things, are like 30 to 35 degrees launch angle, zero spin. Like that's your sort of theoretical, that would be the best thing. And so spin gets in the way. It adds drag and it adds lift. So why wouldn't we always want to minimize spin? Um, well, A, because launching a golf ball at 30-something degrees is not really practical <laughs> for most golfers. It's easy to do it with a big potato gun. And if you can't get the launch angle up, then you need some spin to keep the ball in the air. And so the spin is very much tied to your launch angle. If you're someone like Bubba who can hit up on the ball, you know, five, six, seven degrees and get 15, 16 degrees of launch angle with a ton of speed, I might add, then he doesn't need that much spin to keep the ball in the air. And for someone like him, minimizing spin is all good in general. But for someone, you know, who has a mid-swing speed and launches the ball at 10, 11 degrees, you spin that thing at 1,500 RPM like Bubba spins his driver. And it's not staying in the air, and you're losing loads of yardage. And so your launch angle and your speed make a big difference on what's the optimum spin. And in theory, there is an optimum spin. for If I plug in a speed and a launch angle, I can give you a kind of optimum, an optimum spin. That, in a nutshell, is the biggest kind of thing. You know, at slower swing speeds, you know, we typically recommend not worrying so much about spin and actually worrying about ball speed and launch angle more because the spin doesn't affect the flight as much. So it, it also gets into, you know, are you simply trying to optimize distance or are you trying to get more consistency in your ball flight? And there are some arguments as to why a little more spin can actually act as a little bit of a rudder on the ball. You know, we see that in our modeling data that a little more backspin can actually keep the ball a little bit straighter. So depending on, as a golfer, where you stand on more distance versus more accuracy, a little bit more spin can sometimes help you. It depends. You know, if that spin is just accentuating a 30-yard slice, then that might not be helping you. But it's where it all comes back to the fitting. And uh, based on where you are specifically with your swing, sometimes more spin can be better and sometimes less spin can be better. So let's move over to the world of irons now because we all just want a set of forged blades that just slice through the air, right? None of that cast nonsense. Well, let's talk a bit about this forged versus cast and try to understand it in the modern era of club building. So forged is when you start with a bar of metal, you're going to heat it up and then squish it into the shape that you want. Whereas cast is, you have a shell, you're pouring molten metal into that shell, and as it cools down, it sets. So there's just two different ways to get the basic shape of a club. These days we have multi-material clubs, so quite often an iron can have a cast piece and a forged piece. So it's more complicated than it used to be, but that's fundamentally what it is. And, and like a lot of good sort of myths or misconceptions come from a place of, 
truth at one point or there's a bit of truth in them. And, and the reality is back in the day, it was the case that forged clubs use softer metal and, and tended to be able to maintain their material properties, sort of what I guess what you kind of call clean, homogenous material properties better than a casting. And so the, the perception came out that forge feels softer, it's more pure, it's more precise, because actually that was the case a long, long time ago. And the perception was cast clubs aren't as good quality. There's more kind of grain structure to them. They, they feel harder because typically you use kind of a harder metal. But in reality, actually, the biggest driver of what makes the feel of an iron is the base metal you use. So is it a softer metal or a harder metal? A softer metal is just going to feel softer. And the geometry, you know, a, a blade-type club is always going to feel softer to the golfer. It's going to have a different sound signature and impact than a cavity back. A cavity back is getting more into sort of some of the same design features as a hybrid or, or a metal one. It's, it's a thinner face and the, the weight is more around the perimeter. So it's, it just naturally sounds different. But these days, we can cast with soft metals. We can cast blade out of soft metal and it's going to feel exactly the same as a forged blade we can actually forge some harder metals and we can make a kind of cavity somewhat cavity forging that would feel really hard so it's possible to make you know a harder feeling a harsher feeling forge club and a softer cast club fairly easily it just happens to be that most blades are still forged and most blades feel soft and most kind of distance irons, thin face, cavity back irons, a cast, they are going to sound and feel different to, to the forge club. So it's, it's kind of an interesting, just an interesting field, and, and, and people sort of tag it as it's the forging that makes it soft or make it good. It's, it's really not the forging anymore. It's a little bit of a red herring. It's more the material and the geometry. And finally, in our tour of club technology and some misconceptions here, a tweet from Andy Gordon asking, does putter head design affect face rotation? Would, for instance, a face balanced putter help keep the face squared to the path? Great question, Andy. We revert putters as face balanced, which would be where basically the axis of the shaft goes right through the center of the face. So if you kind of rest the shaft on your finger, the putter will sit with the face up. That's a face balance putter. And then we'd have kind of our slight hang putters and our, and our toe down putters. So a toe down putter, like a, something like a test, the shaft goes in right at the heel. And if you balance the putter on your finger, the face sits kind of almost straight down. And then a slight, you know, an answer would be a good example of a slight hang putter where, you know, the, the shaft axis goes in sort of somewhere halfway between the middle of the face and the heel and it sits with a certain amount of dangle angle, if you like. And so this is a good kind of misconception out there that the putter has a big influence on the arc of the stroke. In fact, it's actually more the other way around that the putter's weight is going to have a slight impact on what you have to do to make it move the way it moves. But the golfer has a much bigger you know, ability to overcome that force. So the golfer swings the putter the way they swing it. And if they have a lot of rotation, putting a face balance putter in your hands is not gonna suddenly start making you swing it more straight back, straight through. In fact, what we see is that basically the putter starts fighting what you're trying to do with it. 
and you lose consistency. And it's a sort of oversimplified explanation, but we see it in our data all the time. When we get players that have a lot of rotation and they pop with a face balance putter, typically they lose a little consistency. And our explanation is that it's sort of a putter that's kind of fighting what you're trying to do. Vice versa, if you're a player that's very straight back, straight through, and we put a toe down putter in, it has a little bit of a tendency to kind of fight what that golf is trying to do. So a, a player who is genuinely pretty straight back, straight through, and doesn't want to take the face match, typically putts better with a face balance putter. A lot of players think that they are very straight back, straight through, and when we measure them, there is a bit more rotation than the player thinks. I think because a putting stroke looks quite straight back, straight through, but actually there's a subtle rotation in most players' stroke. And so that's why something like an answer has, has been such a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's been such a popular putter over the years, but it, it does a pretty good job of fitting the vast majority of players with that sort of slight hang. And then, you know, an answer five that's face balanced tends to, to be really good for a player who's straight back, straight through, and an answer four that's a heel shaft and answer tends to be very good for the player with more rotation. We think it's important enough that, that, that everyone should be considering it when, when it be a part of it. The tricky thing is it's not the easiest thing to eyeball. It's not easy to eyeball at all. So it's, it's definitely best to get some kind of measurement. The good news is that your stroke type, how you swing the putter, doesn't change much unless you go through a major technique change. And it doesn't change based on different putters that you might try. So if you can get yourself measured once, and figure out whether you're pretty straight back, straight through, or pretty arced in your stroke, you can have some confidence that that'll stick around for a long time. But we see it time and time again in testing that it's a good predictor of consistency in your, in your stroke. And so whether that's, you know, we developed our iPing, which is the uh, using the sensors on an iPhone and strapping that to putter and measuring, but you could use a sound putt lab, uh, there's other, there's other devices out there that will give you some idea of arc and stroke. We certainly recommend that it's worth trying to get measured and just establish which bucket are you in. One simple way to do it is to kind of look at your tendency. If you have a tendency to pull putts, then the chances are that you need something with a little more hang to it. If you're playing a face balance putter right now and you have a tendency to pull putts, it's definitely worth trying a mid-hang or a toe-down putter. And vice versa, if you tend to push them, it might be worth trying the face balance. That's a kind of a, a rough and ready, simple way for a golfer to, to try to self-diagnose uh, which type of it should be. Thank you so much, Paul Wood, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us and hopefully clear up a few concepts for us all here. Paul's a great follow on Twitter, so I would recommend doing that. And yeah, he's involved with the Ping products. So if you enjoyed this conversation with him and kind of the mindset behind Ping, go check out some of their new products. The new irons they just came out with look pretty incredible. And if you enjoy this podcast and you listen to this on a regular basis, make sure to subscribe in your local podcasting application. If you're on an iPhone, Apple Podcasts, subscribe. If you really like the podcast, leave a review. Or if you really don't like the podcast, leave a review, letting me know what we can do better for next time. And if you're on uh, Android, there's Google Play, there's Stitcher. There's a few platforms for you to subscribe and stay up to date. For our full episodes, which come out 
typically every week. And then we also have some in-between episodes. We have our quick questions with each of our guests. You can get to know them a little bit better. Paul's will be coming next week. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, he answered some of our most pressing and interesting questions. It's really good. If you are listening to this, you want to become a Golf Science Lab insider. You have a newsletter. You get up to date on everything first. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider. Completely free to sign up for that. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions.